the smartest drummer in town, ladies and gentlemen. Look at this. Um, suit and tie, and a great drummer as well. I think, Phil, you need to raise the game on the standard of dress in the worship team. What did you say? <laughs> Bow tie next week, I reckon. Um, he's got some new trainers on, though. Check them out later. Um, <laughs> Just reminded of that story, The Smartest Giant in Town, which some of you will have read to children or grandchildren about 9,000 times. I think we should rewrite it for you, Clive. The Smartest Drummer in Town. Um, we believe here in training curates really well for the Church of England. One of the privileges of being a, a resourcing church uh, in the Church of England is we get lots of curates. Jess is one. Fraser's another. Uh, he's currently over in Inkborough, and one of our projects that we're doing as a resourcing church. St. Peter's Inkborough speaking there, trying to help them develop their informal worship gathering. And, and that's all part of the training. I want to bring you back very briefly to the beginning of my curacy for reasons that will become tenuously linked to the talk this morning, uh, just to pique your interest. It was 2005. I'd just been ordained a deacon. That's the first of two stages of ordination in the Church of England because we like to make things as complicated as possible. Uh, so I was ordained once. You get ordained again. And I, we were ordained in London. I was ordained in London, but went to do my curacy in Auckland in New Zealand. And, and I got there, and I knew this was vaguely the plan, but the, the vicar of the church we were going to help uh, join, he planted the church six months earlier from London. He was exhausted. And so when I get there, he said, look, I know the plan is that in a couple of weeks' time, we go on holiday and, um, you know, you can look after the fort for a bit. He said, but I'm exhausted. And actually, we've got the opportunity to go back to the UK, see some family, go to a wedding. So he said, the plan is that I'm going to go next week. Uh, our house wasn't ready, so he said, here's the keys to our house. Here's the keys to our car. Here's the keys to the church. I trust you. Which, when you reflect on it, was a very brave thing to do. He knew me a little bit, but of course, I've never led a church. I can't even find my way around the city, never mind being a church leader. He said, don't worry, because Lani will help you. Lani, I think it's great. He said, Lani, she's the ops manager for the church. She knows everything. She's totally on it. It'll be brilliant. So uh, off Mike goes with his family back to the UK the following week. I meet up with Lani, who is brilliant, but has only been in the job three weeks. She's 22, and she's like, I have no idea what I'm doing, and uh, neither did I. And uh, so I kind of took a deep breath and thought, what's the worst thing that can happen? It's going to be okay. And we muddled through, and actually I realized quite quickly, it's not as hard as it looks, don't let me fool you. And um, Mike came back, he said, is everything okay? I said, yeah. You know, didn't lose anyone, nothing burnt down, it's all fine. And actually, we learned quite quickly how to do things. But I tell you that because that is not how Jesus sets it up for the people of God. Jesus is really, really clear that he is going to leave the people of God. He's going to return to heaven after his, his ascension, after his death and resurrection. He's on the earth for 40 days and the ascension to heaven. I'm going to return, he says, to be with the Father. But don't worry, I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm not going to leave you guys just to work it all out with Lani. I'm going to send you instead the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. He will be with you instead of me. His promise is that he would still be with the church through 
the Spirit. He's no longer present in human form, but by his Spirit. And his promise is that it would be easier and better that way, not harder, in this, in this new mode, this new way of engaging with us, relating to us. So that as his people, we would be able to do things that, and, and experience him in ways that weren't possible when Jesus was confined to a body in one place, in one time, but instead by his spirit can be everywhere at all times for all people in every single way. So if you have a, a Bible with you this morning, and remember we're encouraging you to bring a paper one if you can, because we learn better that way, we're told by neurolinguistics. Turn to John chapter 14. There is grace if you need to uh, load up your smart device, don't worry. John chapter 14. We're going to read two little bits of scripture from John's gospel this morning. The first is a few verses from John chapter 14, starting at verse 15. Jesus says this, If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor or advocate to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world, he says, cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and sorry, lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, he says. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Brackets, by my Spirit. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he says, he is the one, she is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. He goes on then to say, verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Pause on that. Turn two chapters to the right. John chapter 16, verse 7, and then verses 12 to 15. Oops. But I tell you, he says, the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor or the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then verses 12 to 15. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what, taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Notice that language of knowledge, of knowing. We're talking this morning about how the Holy Spirit helps us to know God better, know God more. We're trying to move from being people who know about God on its own to knowing God deeply, intimately, in the armchair, not just on the edge of the armchair. And the Holy Spirit is crucial to this. Verse That verse, verse 7 in John chapter 16, is so important for us. Can you imagine those early disciples? They've really got no idea what's going on. But Jesus says to them, it's okay. I'm going to go. And they're thinking, that's not okay. You can't leave me with Lani to run the church. It's okay. It's better for you. It's good for you. 
that I go. Unless I go, the advocate, the counselor can't come to you. This is part of the plan of God. It was, it was always the plan of God. If you go back through the Old Testament, there are all sorts of prophecies about how God will pour out his spirit in those days, that his spirit will come and be with us, that it's through the spirit that God will ultimately usher in the fullness of the new creation. Jesus is really clear. It's better this way. I can be in you and with you, all of you, in all places at all times, if I send my spirit. If I stay with you, then we're stuck in this mode, but that is not going to work. And so theologians talk about us being in something called the age of the Spirit. It's in and through the Holy Spirit now that God is active and at work on the face of the earth, in and with and for his people. He's present with us by his Spirit. We can know him and the things of God. There's no such thing in a biblical sense as a, as a non-charismatic Christian. To be a, a charismatic is to be a person of the Spirit. What's up for discussion is the extent to which we will actively engage with the things of the Spirit. Conversation for another time. Notice two things that Jesus says about all of this in Luke's Gospel. This should come up on the screen. Luke 24, verse 49. He says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. God the Father has promised the Spirit. Elsewhere, he's described as a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, given, freely given. It's a gift. Receive it. The presence of Jesus by his Spirit for you in the midst of your life. The reality, the mess, and the glory of your life. A gift. Receive it. But notice that Jesus is very clear that they are to wait until that Spirit comes, until the Spirit is poured out at Pentecost and the people of God are empowered to do life in his strength, in the the things of God. Jesus knew full well that without that instruction, they would just get on with trying to do it in their own strength. And it doesn't work. We find ourselves, don't we, if we do that, so exhausted, so, so quickly. It's the power and the presence of the Spirit in our lives that makes following Jesus possible. Can't do it any other way. A.W. Tozer, the great spiritual writer, said this. He said, the Spirit-filled life is not a special, deluxe edition of Christianity, It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. We are a people of the book in the age of the Spirit, and the Spirit of God is here today with us. We experienced something in his presence, didn't we, as we sang and waited and didn't rush on. Some of us literally will have felt it, and others would have been aware of a peace and a sense that he's manifestly present. We often talk here about the ministry of the Spirit in terms of his power, in terms of the gifts of the Spirit. And that's good and right, but we're not doing that today. Last week, we looked at the presence of God. Jess spoke brilliantly on that, how how we can know God in his presence. The Spirit enables us to know the very presence of God. Next week, Fraser's going to hone in on the voice of God, how we know God as he speaks to us prophetically, how the Spirit speaks to us today. What I want to do today is focusing on an aspect of the Spirit's ministry that we often don't talk about and help us understand the specific role that the Spirit plays in helping us to know 
God more. In today's teaching text, there's a particular word uh, that's really helpful to understand who this spirit is and what he does to help us know God. Theologians tell us it's actually quite a tricky word to translate into English. Sometimes it's advocate, sometimes it's counsellor, Often those are the two English words, so depending on which Bible you've got in front of you, you might have had one of those. Actually, there are four possibilities, four ways you can translate the original Greek word there, and they're all legit. Okay, so the so theologians would say, put them all together, and you get this beautiful picture of who the Holy Spirit is, and therefore what he does. The first is this word, advocate. The advocate, Jesus says, will come. Now, in legal terms, you know this, many of you, an advocate pleads the case, doesn't he or she, of the defendant in front of a jury and a judge. Well, the Spirit, Jesus says, advocates on our behalf before God. The Spirit stands next to us and says, Father, this is your son, this is your daughter. Look on them through the, eyes, uh, through the lens of Jesus Christ, your holy, righteous son. And that forgiveness and grace and mercy are extended to us. There's good news in that. We'll come back to that later. The second possible translation is the word helper. The spirit, we're told, is a helper. And it's more than just, you know, like, hey, do you need a hand? But actually someone who's intentionally working with us, helping us out, helping us think things through, helping us discern what to do, giving us strength when we're weak, giving us courage when we need it, journeying with us through the very uh, details of our life. The third option is counsellor. That's another really important and beautiful biblical word. The spirit, we're told, is like a counsellor, someone who imparts divine wisdom. Someone who guides us and coaches us and helps us make sense of everything that's going on around us and everything that's going on inside of us. And then the final word that we can use is comforter. The comforter. The Spirit of God brings us very close to the, the heart of God, right into his presence where we know his comfort, his peace, his loving, merciful kindness. Those moments where we just need to know that it's okay, that God's with us and for us in the mess, in those hard times. So the spirit, we're told, is an advocate, a helper, a counselor, and a comforter. And notice a key word in John chapter 14, the first text we read, verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. That word another is really important. Jesus is saying the spirit isn't totally different to me. He's another one of me. He's going to continue what I began. He's going to do for you and through you what I've been doing while I've been here. It's not like a complete gear change. It's not like a different sort of set of agendas now, new rules, work it all out. No, no. It's a continuation and an extension out of what Jesus began. Martin Luther, the great reformer, famously described Jesus, sorry, the spirit as alta Christus, another Christ. It's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit together partnering in unity in us and through us and for the world uh, in that way. Jesus, too, was our advocate, is our advocate, our helper, our counselor, and our comforter. And through his Spirit, he says, you will know me. You will experience me being with you and in you and alongside you to the very end of the age, he says elsewhere. I will never leave you or forsake you because I will always be with you by my spirit. 
That's amazing news. The creator of the whole world not only knows you and loves you, but wants to be with you. He cares enough about the detail of your life to journey with you. So let's briefly look just quickly at three ways that this plays itself out, which we see in the text. The first would be this, that the Spirit helps us to know that God is properly, truly with us. Verses 16 and 17 of John 14. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. You don't have to wonder. I don't have to wonder. Is God with me? Will God stay with me? It's not means tested. It's not performance related. He's going to be with you forever, regardless. And by with us, it's not like he's just going to be around, checking in every so often. You know, head office, how are you getting on over there? Not seeing your sales report for a while. No, no, that's not the picture we're meant to have. It's, the language is that of intimacy. God's with us in the moments, in the detail, in the heartache, in those moments when it's just you and God and you don't know what to say or do. Yes, then. He's with you on the highs and in the lows. He goes on to say in verse 17, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. The Spirit of God is in us. We carry him wherever we go. And that means in those moments when we wonder... And we're sort of, we're just out of our depths. We, can, we don't have to question whether God is with us. Yes, he is by his spirit. We can know his reassuring, loving presence. This isn't a kind of a, a moment where Jesus is saying, hey guys, over to you, good luck. Here's Lani and a set of keys. It's like, guys, it's going to be okay because I'm going to be with you by my spirit. This isn't about us having some vague awareness of his presence. This isn't about just having some intellectual conviction that he's with us somewhere, somehow, and don't quite know what he's up to, but I'm sure one day it'll all make sense. No, this is about a spirituality of the immediate, of the intimate. The Spirit of God is with you in all of it. It's a promise for you and for me that we can and we will know God's love, care, Peace, provision, wisdom, help, leading, mercy, grace, forgiveness, encouragement, and power in all that we are and all that we do every day, always. That is good news. That's so good. And we are being invited, you and I, 2,000 years later, still in the age of the Spirit, to step into that life with the Spirit so that we truly know God with us in all things. John puts it beautifully and simply a little bit later on in the scriptures in his first epistle. He says this, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He's given us the spirit. That's how you know, because you have the spirit with you. So let's land this. What does this mean in the reality of our lives? It means that in any given moment, whatever's going on, you can be sure that God is there. And so you can turn to him and you can come to him and you can seek him and you can become aware of him and you can ask for help. Those moments when you put the phone down and you've had some terrible news about someone you love and your world just shrinks and you're feeling grief and fear and panic because you don't know what to do. In that moment, you can know the comfort of God. 
It means in those moments when you find yourself on the receiving end of really unfair criticism. For example, someone sends you an email and you're reading it going, this isn't, this isn't how it is. Can anyone relate to that? I mean, it never happens to me. But um, <laughs> those moments when you're like, what? And you think, God, what do I do with this? How do I, how do I make sense of what I'm being, what's going on around me? Or those moments when you, know, you find yourself with a situation on your hands and you've got no idea what to do. Or you can say, God, help me. Counsel me. Give me wisdom. Give me divine insight to know what to do, how to make sense of this. Or those moments when you're dealing with the same thing again and you're just exhausted. Another day where you've got to battle health. And you're just weary and tired and it hurts. You can say, God, I need you today. I know you're with me. I need your strength. I need your courage. I need some fresh faith for today. About those moments when you know you've fallen short of the glory of God in your life. There's been a bit of conviction and you need to go before God. We know we can. Without fear, because the advocate, the spirit, is there. That God will be gracious to us. This is why Christians are called to live in the things of the Spirit, because it's liberating. It means we can live into what God saved us for, and not in our own strength, but in His. The second thing that the Spirit does is helps us to know how to live with and for God. Notice the language that Jesus uses. He's really clear here. The Spirit will come to help us live in loving obedience to God. The Spirit will come to teach us the ways of God. The Spirit will come to guide us into truth. This isn't a kind of a spirit who goes, look, you know, here you go. You got this. Off you go. Good luck. Just read it. Memorize it. Don't forget which page everything's on. You know, thank goodness for the concordance at the back, right? No, no, this is not the picture Jesus paints here. He's very clear in verse 21 that one of the ways we show love, show that we love God, is that we keep his commandments. Notice this. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. That's what Jesus is saying. One of the ways that God knows that we love him is that we choose to do the things he's called us to do. It's it's loving obedience. And so no wonder he says the Spirit will come to teach you how to do that. Because he's not setting us up to fail. Those rules, those ways of God are so that we're free, so that we're whole, so that that we're transformed. The Spirit comes to teach us how to do it so we can experience everything that Jesus died for. The Spirit's on our side. It's not a game. It's not a competition. It's It's not like trick questions around the corner. And so here we have the Spirit, who Jesus says in verse 17 is the Spirit of truth. There is such a thing as absolute truth. We talked, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago about how the scriptures are the source of ultimate truth, we believe. And so in these passages, we're taught that Jesus will, uh, by his spirit, teach us about all things. The spirit will actively teach us about anything, everything. Now, it doesn't mean you can kind of go, okay, what shoes should I wear for church next week? Because Clive was looking really smart. Oh, yeah, no. The book of Jess, chapter 4, you shall be smart in church. It's not that, but it's this spirit, this relationship, the Father, the Son with us by the Spirit, helping us think, giving us divine inspiration, helping us clear our thoughts, showing us the frameworks, the biblical vision, the kingdom vision, and then with all that in mind, okay, well, what's the right thing to do here? 
Is this a moment for grace to abound? Is this a moment to turn the other cheek? Is this a moment for another dig deep, long obedience in the same direction? We're told that the Spirit will remind us of what Jesus has already taught us. That that we don't have to try and hold it all and remember it. The Spirit will remind us that when we're wondering what to do, sometimes the Spirit will literally go, do you remember that verse? Which is why back to two weeks ago, we talked about memorizing Scripture, reading the Bible, so that the Spirit can in those moments just pull it out from your subconscious and drop it into your moment. Yes, I'm here with you, look. How often have we had those moments of encouragement as we remember the things Jesus taught us? And then notice this, he guides us into truth. And the word there, guide, is literally a guide, a tour guide. I'll explain how it, I'll, 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 I'll come with you. I'll, I'll show you how it all works. The Spirit isn't just going to go, well, you know, off you go, good luck, you've got enough data to work it out. No, I'm going to guide you into all truth. The sense we're meant to grasp here is that the Spirit accompanies us and journeys with us in the details of our lives so that we can make sense of them, so that we can discern God's will, God's activity with us, God's ways, what God's into, what's God's trying to do in those moments, how God is going to meet us in the things that happen that are not his plan for us, but he's good and faithful to us in the midst of the pain and the mess. It means that when we're facing choices, trying to work things out. We're not doing it in our own strength. Because the Spirit is with us, we can ask him for guidance, for clarity, for insight, for discernment. It means you don't have to try and work it all out on your own, piece it together. We can seek godly wisdom. The Spirit will help us know what to do. It means when you're trying to understand the world in all its brokenness, when you're trying to understand yourself, in all the mess that we all have, when you're trying to make sense of these moments that happen where you just, just, God, this cannot be what you have for us, that you can turn to the Spirit and say, guide me, teach me, help me make sense of this so I can hold this lightly and still live in your love and your promise. The Spirit is not just there for the good times. The Spirit is there in the hard times as well. Finally, and more briefly, the Spirit helps us to embrace the future with faith. Notice what Jesus says in chapter chapter 16, verse 13. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. The Spirit, the Comforter, the Counselor, the Advocate, the Helper, journeys not only with us in all the day-to-day stuff, but also towards that ultimate horizon when Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And between now and then, he's going to guide us into what is yet to come. He's going to teach us and tell us what it is. Now, this is not, he's going to give us all the facts and the specifics. You know, some of that stuff about, you know, if you just read the codes in here, we'll work out when he's going to come back. It was meant to be 20 years ago, so someone got it wrong. No, no, it's not that kind of idea. It's more the sense of actually, that actually we we can go into the future with faith because he's with us. He will show us what is yet to come, not the details, but the important things. He will remind us that one day Jesus is coming again, that we live with one eye, as I always say, on that horizon. And so here's how we live with faith into that. Here's how we make sense of what happens along the way. Here's how we make choices as we go. He'll teach us, explain it to us. 
And just as Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing, we're told here, the Spirit only speaks what he hears from the Father and the Son. They're on the same team. The Spirit's hearing, he's listening in on this Holy Trinity conversation and then telling us what we need to know. There's so much more we don't need to know. There's so much more we will never make sense of this side of heaven. But the bit we do need to know, Jesus says, the Spirit will give it to you. And you can be reassured as a result of that. It's interesting to me, verse 12 of John 16, Jesus says this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Jesus would love, in a sense, to give us a full revelation of everything. Peel back the curtain. Here's what's going on. But actually, it's too much. The word for the bear there is crush. It would crush you. This total revelation would be overwhelming. Instead, the Spirit will journey with you in faith through the the days of your life into the future. And as you go, will bring you the revelation you need because that's all you can cope with. How kind is that? How good is that? So what does this mean? Well, it means you don't need to be afraid of the future. It means, on one level, this is just an entirely eschatological truth. You know, this is a statement about the end of time. We know that the lion wins. We know that Jesus comes again. We know that there's a new heaven and the new earth. And the Spirit will tell us about all of that. Yes, it's all of that. But it also means that we don't need to worry about what lies ahead for us in death. That death has not got any sting left. That death is the ultimate healing for us in Christ. We don't need to be afraid of that. We don't need to worry about what's going to happen to us. And what that means is we can, we can actually live fully in the present. We don't need to live in fear and anxiety and worry. You know those moments when you're out of control? Which is most of the time, by the way, because control is an illusion. You don't need to worry We can hold it before God and say, God, help me in faith live into this uncertain future where most things are out of my control. Confident that you're with me, that you're working all things out for my good. Help me discern. Help me trust. Reassure me. Comfort. Guide me. Counsel. Strengthen me. Help me. That we will get to that day confident in the things of God. So what do we have to do? What's our bit in this? Well, it's really simple, actually. It's the stuff we talk about all the time. It's about having a posture towards God of dependency, openness, and humility. Not only, God, are you with me, thank goodness, so I'm going to choose to depend on you, I'm going to choose to trust you, but I need that. Like the alternative doesn't work. And so I'm going to choose to come to you and I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to live in the promise, the truth that you're with me. The practices, the spiritual practices we talk about, Bible reading, silence, prayer, solitude, fasting, all those things which we've looked at and we'll come back to again, they help us. They help us to adopt that posture. It's an intentional engaging with the Spirit of God. Not just his power and his gifts and all of that. I believe in all of that. But also this stuff we talked about today. So, let's pause. And let's be still. You can do this anywhere. Anytime. Stuck in traffic. 
waiting for a bus, wondering where your kids are, they're late out of school. Anywhere you are, we can be still. And we can wait upon the Spirit of God to bring a fresh sense of him, the, the truth that he is with us and in us. Help us become attentive to that, aware again of his loving, empowering presence. And we can do it when we gather like this. Just be still. I, I sometimes think we learn how to do it here because I make you. <laughs> and then you go, oh, I can do this anywhere. Yeah, I can do this in the cafe, even though I'm surrounded by loads of other people. So let's be still. Let's pause. I always find it helpful to